Lord Jesus, we are thankful again for your church, and we are thankful to be able to study its history. We are thankful that the history of the church has been kept and written carefully down so that we may study it as we concern ourselves with the early persecutions of the church. Um, Help us to remember, help us to know what it must have been like for those believers in the early church, and help us to then again understand persecution even today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, I think it's important for us to define what we mean by persecution. It gets thrown around quite a bit nowadays. Um, you know, Christians, um, some, well, some Christians will think that they're being persecuted just because someone disagrees with them. And so we'll, we need to make sure that, what, well, how do we define that? Just throw some stuff out there. How do we define persecution appropriately? Okay, limiting their ability to worship, good, or express themselves in worship, good, good. Yeah, actual physical injury or harm, good. It's important. Or injury in other ways too. Yeah, mental or you know some sort of emotional distress. Financially. Financially, yes. Yep. Good. And so those are examples of real persecution that, that you know Christians are experiencing today, have been experiencing since um, since Jesus was called to heaven. So I think that's important for us to recognize. When an unbeliever disagrees with your point of view, you are not being persecuted. Uh, you are being given an opportunity. And so you should use that. And so I think that's important for us to remember. I hear a lot of that. Um, I think particularly as some of the students... Uh, I, you know, I, t- I teach high school, uh, and so some of the students come to me. A couple of the teachers are are non-Christian, um, and so when those unbelieving teachers kind of put their beliefs forward, a lot of the Christian students feel persecuted. I'm like, no, what? No, what you're feeling is the sting of conviction and needing to go learn more about what you believe. You are not being persecuted in any way. You haven't been tossed out for your belief. Uh, you're standing here talking to a believing teacher who teaches right down the hall from the unbelieving teacher. So we're not being persecuted here. You're being called to action. And so we need to understand the difference between that. I think it's important for us. However, um, Paul, in his letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, said this, verse 12, or chapter 3, verse 12, said, Those who, deli- uh, who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Um, and so, what does that mean? Well, there are going to be points as as Christians that we are going our godly living, the, our, the choices that we make to live our lives as Christians. Others will see those as bad, and they will come against them. Uh, that does, again, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be like attacked physically, but we may be uh, prejudiced against in some way financially, uh, the workplace, or something like that. It may happen to us. And so it's good for us to see that today, especially in our country where we live free. Um, we're not seeing it the same way that the, uh, well, for instance, our brother uh, Andrew Brunson, who's in a Turkish prison right now for uh, treason as a missionary. He's, uh, he's committed treason against the country of Turkey, apparently, for talking about Jesus. And so that's persecution. Um, this man did nothing wrong. And yet he's being held in a prison that is nothing like anything we know. Um, 
just because he was a believer. You know, we have believing, uh, we have brothers and sisters in Muslim countries uh, and even in South American countries where persecution is rampant and crazy and they're being killed, and that is persecution. Um, so let's make sure we, we understand that this is still happening today. It's not it's just a thing of the past, but most time when we think about Christian persecution, we do think about those first 300 years that the church was in existence. And so let's, let's talk about that. Um, any questions before we go on? Anything? Any comments about persecution? We hear the word a lot today. Um, and so I think it's important for us to, to draw the lines. All right. Um, so what was the extent of the persecution that was going on and before in the early church? During the first 300 years of the church, um, about 130 of those years, the church would, be, would have been considered under persecution because of some sort of governmental edict or some sort of indirect uh, uh, opposition to the church. And so the rest of those years, the church would have been able to have operated basically without persecution. Um, and so about half of the first 300 years of the church, was, that was happening. A lot of the persecutions were more localized. And so think of a... Uh, like a, a town riot or something like that, rather than an empire-wide sweep of Christians. All right. Um, the earliest persecutions that were happening were actually uh, from the Jews, from the Jewish people, and they were persecuting the church. And you see that in um, you see that in the Book of Acts, even where you know the Apostle Paul was one of the persecutors of the early church. Um, why, why was that going on? Why, why did the Jews want to persecute Christians? What do you think? Go ahead. Uh, they believed that they were perverting the, their original Judaic faith. Good. A perversion of what they saw to be the truth. Blasphemy. blasphemy. They saw it as blasphemy that we were worshiping, the Christians were worshiping the one true God. All right, because they did not believe that Jesus was God. And so they saw that as a perversion of the truth. And it's interesting that when one of those persecutors came to the light, when Jesus threw him off his horse, he would later write that why, anyone, why does anyone reject the truth? Because they reject God. You know, Romans chapter 1 is a great example of that. And it's interesting that all the persecutions that we're going to see is largely this idea being used against Christianity. That we, as Christians, are perverting the one true religion. Whatever that religion is, whatever it represents, you know, in Rome it represents one thing, as Jews it represented another thing. But Christians were being persecuted because we were seen as blasphemers. I mean, that's similar today, right? It sh- you should see that, that, that thread today. We are... You know, an atheist is not going to call us a blasphemer. They wouldn't use that word, but they may as well. We are their version of a blasphemer. We are blaspheming whatever god they worship. The flavor of the last few years has been science. You know, they they see us as blasphemers of science, which we're not. You know, they they call me that, and I'm a biology teacher. Uh, I know more about it than they do. And yet they will bla- they will say that I blaspheme their God of science, even though they won't call it a God. I, do, I usually do that for them. 
Uh, and then it was in 313, it was, there was something called the Edict of Milan. And this is when persecutions began to stop for the most part. The Edict of Milan was, uh, came after Constantine, the emperor of Rome, his conversion to the faith. And it's a uh, fascinating story, by the way, of how he had a dream and of this symbol. And we now use the symbol today. You've all seen the Cairo. It looks like a, an X with a P going down through it. He saw that dream. And he, was, he put it on his shield, and he went and won the battle for Christ, and he became converted to Christianity, or maybe was converted to Christianity. But he thought he was, and so uh, the whole empire became Christian, and he made it illegal to persecute Christians. And that's when Christianity kind of came out of this time of persecution and began to focus on other issues. Um, we'll, we'll begin talking about that next week, and those other issues where the church was full of heresy. And so that needed to be dealt with. Go ahead. I was going to mention, so you got two, two big events that happened, the Edict of Milan and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem mm-hmm. that greatly impacted Christianity. Here they're suffering. You can read about it in the New Testament. These warnings to persevere through all these kind of things. Good. When the temple was destroyed, the Jews were scattered and decimated. I mean, it's, if you read about it, it's one of the worst things you've ever heard about in your life. It's awful. And it had the net effect of, of diverting all the Jews' attention. Jesus said, I'm going to destroy this temple. And uh, they didn't hear him at all. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand, but the Christians understood. So Christianity escaped one of its biggest detractors uh, by, by then. Yeah. In, in large part. That's and good. They had these other issues with, with Rome were more to do with so you think there's another God besides Caesar? That's blasphemy. And then that ended in different places at different times. But eventually right. The Edict of Milan was like the, the big wide-sweeping yeah. law. And that's good. I mean, we talked about the destruction of the temple, you know, where that was where Jews and Christians kind of split ways. And it's important to note, too, that the Jews were also being uh, persecuted by the Romans. Because the Jewish people also thought that Caesar was not God. And so uh, there was a problem there, and they were also killing Jewish people for their faith. Um, and so Christians and the Jews split when Jerusalem was destroyed. There was no seat of religious authority for, the, for Judaism, and uh, basically stayed that way for a long time. I would argue that it's still that way, that Judaism is nothing um, what it used to be. But it was always, again, it was, we worship different, we worship a triune God and, and Jews do not. And so we're not talking about the same thing. Um, and so what are the reasons for persecution? Again, we have to understand this about Rome, and I think a lot of times it's painted in this, this different picture. Rome was generally tolerant of other religions. The reason they were able to grow so quickly and so successfully is because they basically came in, took over, and said, this is now Rome, but you can kind of do what you were doing. Don't act dumb, and we'll leave you alone. Oh, yeah, and you owe us some money every week or whatever. Um, and we'll keep you safe. We'll actually improve your roads. We'll improve your waterways. We'll improve everything about your life. But Caesar is God, and you owe us some money. That's kind of the way things worked. All right? And so Rome was generally tolerant. And they believed, actually that religion was a good thing for society. They saw religion as a unifying aspect of society. People get together, they worship, they fellowship, 
It's a good thing for people to be together. It's a good thing for people to be talking. It actually increased loyalty in the republic. So again, let's not see uh, Rome as an atheistic kind of uh, persecutor. They definitely had their own pantheon of gods, um, and which they just wanted us to worship them along with our god. They didn't care. They just wanted us to make sure we recognize the, the true gods, and then you can have whatever it is that you want to do. And so with that, what makes Christianity interesting is most of, when you, when you read some of the Roman letters, they would call other religions um, pious, and they would use the word pious to describe these other religions because they respected the fact that these other people were religious and they, their religions were, as they saw it, in order. There was nothing wrong with their religions. But when you read about what they wrote about Christians, they used a different word. They didn't use pious. They used the word superstitious. They said Christianity is a very superstitious religion, extravagantly superstitious is what one writer wrote. His name's Pliny the Younger. He wrote lots of uh, interesting philosophical things, and he also wrote letters to emperors that Christians are bad people. Um, so if you go find, if you go look for like so, uh, quotes on Pliny the Younger, you'll see all these cool, inspirational things. But you won't see anything about how he wrote to Trajan that the Christians should be wiped off the face of the earth, which is what he did. Um, they viewed Christianity as a, a new teaching. Anything new is bad and superstitious, um, and so they didn't trust it. It's kind of like. Uh, you know, like the old folks look at new things, like, oh, nothing new is good, you know. Like, blah, blah, blah. They wanted all these old-timey religions. They didn't want anything new, you know. It was superstitious. It was bad. And so it was bad for society. Therefore, it should be cleansed from society because Rome desired order among all things. If you created disorder, what did they do to you? They wiped you off the face of the earth. Ask the Jews. Right? They did not deal well with any sort of disorder or anything that caused disorder. So they saw Christianity as that which caused disorder. One of their philosophers, Porphyry, wrote this about Christians. How can people not be in every way impious and atheistic? He's talking about Christians as being atheists. So it's interesting that his, his point of view uh, definitely shaped his philosophy. How can people not be in every way impious and atheistic who have apostatized from the customs of our ancestors through which every nation and city is sustained. What else are they than fighters against God? So again, we see that same Romans 1 idea. They've kind of turned, they, they have turned it against Christians and they say that a Christian is actually fighting against the one true God, whoever they saw that to be, Jupiter or whatever. And so they saw Christianity as a pagan religion. And pagan religions do not worship correctly, therefore they should be punished. And so this was kind of the seat of a lot of their persecutions. They're going to bring bad things to the empire. Christianity is by by being impious, by being atheistic. Um, any thoughts on that? I think it, I think it speaks a lot to what 
we see today in society and society's views on Christianity. Again, we're not, there are no threats currently to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth except from uh, Muslims. Um, but they just want to wipe everybody off the face of the earth who's not Muslim. Um, so we're not seeing that, you know, like in our country as a whole. They're not calling for Christians' heads or anything. But I think there is an undercurrent of if you're a Christian, you're probably not very smart. You're probably not raising your kids to be very smart. You should get with the times. And that's kind of the undercurrent of how Christianity is reviewed, particularly in academia um, and I think even in society at large. Do you have something? Just to go along with that, I was listening to the message this week, and I've not finished it yet. It's probably one of the best that I've heard. And um, it's just dealing with the church as um, everybody's got to look like me. And I mean, I mean, I think it's true. You know, society looks at us in a certain way, but I think a lot of it has become true. Um, you know, you've got to look this way, you've got to act this way, you've got to smoke, not drink, not do this, not do this, not do this, and then you can be a part of our little club. Mm-hmm. And so why would a, a college kid who's seeking and looking look to that as the way to go? Right. And then the media jumps on top of that and finds specific uh, things that are occurring in our society that really is, you know, show that off. And then you look to a small town where there's a small church with some older white members, and they say, Oh, yeah, see, here you go. You've got no diversity of race, you've got no diversity of anything. Right. Yeah, go ahead. I think it goes, it goes really well into what you were preaching about, though, as far as being different actually bearing fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, it does become an institution. It's just become just a country club, like you, like you said. Persecution in this first um, 130 some odd years, very, very active uh, persecution. It, it, it humbled them, obviously, mm-hmm. and it helped them really walk in grace. And unfortunately, we've come to a place where it's quite the opposite, and so we have the hypocrites. But the benefit is, again, under, under uh, strong preaching of the word and conviction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God actually living it out consistently with what Scripture says and remembering um, remembering the doctrines of grace mm-hmm. which those alone are sort of uh, humblest enough to where hopefully we can reach out because it's, yeah, it's exactly right okay yeah you, yes you look like a Christian and you go you're fine you probably haven't read a book ever before and you, you probably couldn't care less about me and my situation because everyone's drowning yeah everyone's drowning in a big carriage so I think it's important that you know if you if you are a Christian to continue to grow because there are so many people who are Christians who once they accept Christ they think that's great I'm done say I can do whatever I want God's going to forgive me and um, and hopefully He'll bless me too you know I have a wonderful life because of this but they don't do anything more to grow and learn mm-hmm. yeah and that and that's something the outside world finds completely unsettling. You know, that that we would just, you know, as I've, you've heard me say lots of times, go wait by the Bible bus stop and, all right, Lord, here I am, come pick me up, I'm ready to go home. And, uh, I mean, that's largely the attitude because think about how Christians view things like, um, 
you know, like climate change and stuff like that. What is the largest, what is the, the general Christian response to that? It's fake. I don't care. I'm going to drive whatever I want. I don't care what I am. I don't care about the world anyway. I'm only passing through anyway. And so, yeah. of course, the world's going to react to that. Yeah, and as opposed to, he put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and keep it, and he put us over as stewards over the world, and not to be trashers of the world. And that's just one example. Um, but I can, it's you can see how the outside world has been able to uh, paint us into this hole. Of you can kind of see some truth in that, and I, and in conversations that I've had, I've had to concede certain points to that regard. You know, because what if Christianity? What has Christianity turned around and done the same way? It's kind of like what you were saying with the, you know, drinking, smoking, tattoos. Well, they're a bad person, you know, obviously, um, and so we're, we don't want anything to do with them. They're not like us, and we want to have this little, you know, holy huddle or whatever. Let's go by the bus stop and wait for Jesus to come. And so we we've set ourselves up for that, and we have to be careful because. When, when we have our, and, and, and nothing, well, there's nothing wrong with Christianity having its distinctives, you know. And, I, and I'll tell a, an unbeliever, the reason, the reason you, the reason you, uh, dis, you know, disagree and the reason you don't believe in God is because you hate him. You know, I'll say that because Paul said it first, it's not my words, but I, I, I'll be their friend while I'm saying it. I don't hate them. You know, I don't, I don't see them as horrible. I know great guys who, are, who love their wives, who, have, who love their kids, who do great in their jobs. Who are unbelievers? It doesn't, you know. The only thing that separates us is Jesus. I'm not a better person than them; I'm just better off. And so I think when we see ourselves as in that regard with the unbelieving world, I think that's when we're going to come to a better understanding. Um, I, I will say this: I don't think that is going to minimize persecution, because at the end of the day, you know, what separates us? Jesus, and they hated him. And they're going to hate us also. Um, but we want the reason they hate us to be Jesus, not because. Yeah, we, we want the. Yeah. Not because we're dummies, right. Not because we're, we treat people like garbage. You know, we, we actually want the reason they persecute us to be because of Jesus, because they really hate Jesus. And they're acting out. And, and, I, and I want to read a. a Excerpt from one of the books that, uh, well, from Eusebius, the you know the first church historian that he wrote about one of the people who was persecuted, and you get this feeling that these people weren't these people were just normal everyday people. I mean, the excerpt that I'm gonna read from you is a 15 year old girl that was killed um, for her beliefs, and she stood up to Rome. Not because she thought Rome was bad, but because she thought Jesus was good. And she refused to deny her Savior. Um, and that's where we have to be as a church, right? We, we're, and again, it's not our glory, it's his. I don't refuse to deny Jesus because I don't want to have tattoos and don't want to smoke. I refuse to, do, to deny Jesus because he is the true Savior. There is no other truth. I can't deny the truth. Um, and I think that's important. And I, go ahead. We need to show we need to show love to the world. And, and I grew up in a churchy type environment where we went to church, but nobody really talked about their faith, and nobody had any problems to talk about because we were fine. 
know, and, and it seemed like everybody around was like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just sort of you do what's expected or what's right, and you kind of go with the go with the flow. And obviously, God squashed me later on in a good way and changed my life, and it, it changed the meaning. And now I hear what everybody's saying, and I'm not on social media or anything like that, but I still challenge you to think about. The fact that some Christians go out and give us a bad rap sometimes. But the truth is that most people that I know have been blessed tremendously by Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an opportunity to share the gospel with people. The kind of people you said that most people wouldn't love, the lady who shared the gospel with me, Miss Esther, she sat with those people. I mean, this woman was old school, holiness type person who said, oh, come on, guy, with a tattoo on your face that just got done putting out a cigarette outside, come with me, sit with me. And they'd say, no, 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 I don't want to sit with you. And she'd say, oh, yeah, you have to. All the visitors have to sit with me, come with me. She was like 80 years old telling people that. Um, you know, the false nightclub gets bombed. And people are going online saying, see, Christians... This was influenced by the way Christians look down on us and won't accept us. It was done by a guy who was Islamic, number one, and the Christians were showing up and blessing the people and bringing them food and, and shelter and counseling. So I'm saying, don't, don't forget that. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean brag about it like, see, look what Christians do. I mean, like, let's just go do that stuff. And it happens in this town. Yep. Go to Nilon, go to the soup kitchen. You know, for all the political wranglings that people think, man, the government ought to do this and they ought to get more here and all of that stuff, those people that they're serving, they have nothing. And they spend every bit of the government money they get. And who's feeding them? Christians are feeding them. Mm. Yeah. And clothing them. And at the Angels Clinic, they're taking care of their health needs. And so I say, that's what Christianity does. It's not what it is, but it is what it does. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And... And you see that in the early church. Um, the Christians were were a good thing for the cities they lived in. They, there were all these superstitions that went around them. You know, well, what, what do Christians do? Well, they said that they were they called Christians cannibals. They have these cannibalistic meetings. Why? Because Christ said to eat his flesh. And they were having, I talked to you guys last week about the love feasts. Well, they saw those agape feasts as as bad things and that there were immoral, immoralities going on inside the Christian worship service and that was why Christians were being persecuted without walking in and looking what was going on they were persecuting for what they saw the church doing well the church was actually out in the community serving communities um, you don't you particularly you don't read that in Acts when you look at the early church you don't, you don't get that from Paul in his writings that there was any sense that the church had sheltered itself up and hold itself up and hid, but yet it was the opposite. They were out serving the people. Paul even instructed the Christians to submit themselves to the governing authorities. He instructed the Roman Christians to do that. Who was persecuting them? I can't even imagine. You know, so I think it's important for us to understand that you know, we don't want our persecution, if that takes place, to be our fault. Uh, we want it to be a natural extension of what we do, you know, like what, what he said. Yeah. Those who desire to live a, a holy life will be persecuted. And don't celebrate it. I think you made a good point. Like, we don't need to seek, seek it out and celebrate it. Yep. Uh, I remember Paul Washer was on, on a video where they interviewed him. He's a great missionary preacher guy. 
And they said, what do you think about all the criticisms against you from this person? And they were just kind of listing all these complaints against you. like, oh, I wasn't aware of all those. And they are like, you weren't aware of all the people that have come out and said that you're too hellfire and brimstone or that you're too emotional or that you're too theological and all stuff? He's like, no. I said, well, do you have any comment about it? He's like, nope. And they go, well, tell me, what's going on? What are you thinking? He's like, I've been too busy doing all the stuff that those people are complaining about to even hear that. Like, I'm just doing the work. You know, I, I can't worry about that. And we, we need to care about how we're perceived, but we just need to keep doing the work. I love that about him. And you, if you know him or you've been around him, you know that it's true. He doesn't care mm-hmm. about that. He's, he's got a one-track mind on, on working as long as he has here. And he just kind of lets the critics go away. But if you listen to some places... They drum that up. You know, man, this, this kid wanted to wear a shirt that said Jesus is the only way, and these, this school is persecuting this kid. Well, they have a dress code, and that violates the dress code. Mm-hmm. It's not like the, they hate it, and then they're interviewing the principal, and the principal's like, I'm a Christian. I'm, we have a dress code that you can't wear any shirts like this of any kind. Right. We wear blue dress shirts. So, sorry. That was his stand. That was a bad thing to take a stand on. Right. I don't know that stuff here takes you, too. Yeah, it does. Um, definitely. That's not persecution. No, that's stupidity. There's yeah. a big difference. Um, and so, uh, and I think it, you see that in the early church. They weren't, going, they weren't seeking out. They were being sought out a lot of times. Um, and I'll, I'll just list off a few of the early persecutions. These are the notable ones, uh, at least notable by me. There are a lot more. Uh, Nero was one of the first, the, you know, the emperor of Rome in 64 AD. This is where Peter and Paul are both executed in particular. Um, Paul was beheaded. Peter was said to have been crucified upside down. Um, Then the Emperor Trajan uh, from 112 to 117 AD. This is where the first time in history that being a Christian is actually against the law. Um, What's interesting, Christians aren't being hunted at this time, but if someone said that person's a Christian, then Rome by law was compelled to try them and the trial was this. It was really simple. They asked the person three times, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, all three times they were executed. They gave them three chances to deny Christ. And if they didn't do it, they were executed. And by executed, um, I mean, you just, just read the stories. Uh, they were bad. It wasn't, wasn't ever a, a pleasant thing. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, 161 to 180. This is where we have Polycarp's martyrdom. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He was burned at the stake. Uh, the Emperor Decius. Uh, this this one in particular has to do with the uh, the requirement to give sacrifices. And what's interesting about this particular persecution is this is the first time that you see in the church, not necessarily the first time, but the first time that it was rampantly used, that a lot of Christians were seeking a way out of the persecution. And you could actually buy a certificate on the black market that said, yes, I participated in these sacrifices, even though you didn't, uh, in order to like say, yeah, look, I did it kind of to this back way out. And this becomes a problem later in the church. Um, and then the, mo- the worst persecutions were those under Diocletian, 303 to 324. Um, this is where the legal rights of all Christians were actually rescinded. This is normally what we think about when we think about persecution, and this comes up right up against the Edict of Milan, uh, where we begin to see that start to die out. Uh, and I'll close. I want to close this with just one story that I read, uh, that I found from Eusebius. Again, let me encourage you to read that. It's free. It's a 
It's been out for a couple thousand years. So uh, he's uh, a church historian, and he wrote a lot of these uh, accounts of these Christians. And this one is about a lady named Blondina. Um, and she, she, again, she was 15 years old, so I think we can uh, relate with that. And this is just kind of how he wrote about this. I mean, we'll read this, these few sections here. I'm just kind of skipping around in his text. But he said, For while we all trembled, and her earthly mistress, who was herself also one of the witnesses, feared that on account of the weakness of her body, she would be unable to make a bold perfect confession, Blondina was filled with such power as to be delivered and raised above those who were torturing her by means from morning till evening in every manner, so that they acknowledged that they were conquered and could do nothing more to her. And they were astonished at her endurance, as her entire body was mangled and broken. And they testified that one of these forms of torture was sufficient to destroy life, not to speak of so many and so great sufferings. But Bondina was suspended on a stake and exposed to be devoured by the wild beasts who should attack her. And because she was appearing, appeared as if hanging on a cross, and because of her earnest prayers, she inspired the combatants with great zeal. For they looked on her in her conflict and beheld with her outward eyes in the form of their sister, him who was crucified for them, that he might persuade those who believe in him that everyone who suffers for the glory of Christ has fellowship always with the living God. But the, this, but the blessed Blondina, last of all, having, as a noble mother, encouraged her children, and this is a 15-year-old girl, uh, encouraged her children. She didn't have children. She's talking about the Christians who are with her. And sent them before her, her victorious to the king, endured herself all their conflicts and hastened after them, glad and rejoicing in her departure, as if called to a marriage supper rather than cast to wild beasts. And, and after the scourging and after the wild beasts, after the roasting seat, she was finally enclosed in a net and thrown before a bull. And having been tossed about by the animal, but feeling none of the things which were happening to her on account of her hope and firm hold upon what had been entrusted to her and her communion with Christ, she also was sacrificed. And the heathens themselves confessed that never among them had a woman endured so many and such terrible tortures. It's incredible. I am less than this person. Um, and so for me, I mean, when, that's like what I think about when I think of the early church persecutions is this, this particular story. Um, just what they endured. And, then, and I always think about that when I think of Christians who are being killed all over the world. And it's not just, you know, we want to think of like... Uh, like grown men being killed, right? I think that makes our sensibilities think the best. But no, this is women and children, people of all ages, being killed for what they believe. And they're standing up to the truth. And why did she stand up to the truth? Was it so that she could somehow be glorified? 
No, so that Jesus could be glorified. And so, just as an encouragement, I think, and I think we brought out some good points in that. Let's continue to live in Christ, to live that godly life. If persecution comes, let us stand firm in our faith. And, I, you know, these women like Blondina and others should be, should be examples to us. Any questions? Any thoughts? Let me close this. Let me close this in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we are thankful that these many went before us um, and that they have a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb, not because of what they did, not because of their torture that they sustained, but because of the torture you sustained, because of what you did. And it's because of what you did that they were able to stand up to the most powerful country and governance in the world. And so we pray for that same kind of strength, even as we stand up against no persecution at all. And so, Lord, help us to live godly lives if we've, as we've been called to do. Help us to live lives that show the mercy, the grace, the ministry of our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.